Well, it's a great privilege for me today to be preaching uh, our second week of our new series, Legacy. Like, what a great Sunday to be preaching about legacy, right? When you see the legacy standing behind these children. It's interesting, isn't it? Each child held by its parents, each child and parents supported by their siblings and, and their parents and grandparents. I mean, what a picture of legacy, I tell you. Just a fantastic thing. Pastor Bob preached an incredible word last week on Beniah. One of my favorite guys in the Bible went down into a pit and killed a lion. Uh, I love that story, and uh, I love what that guy stood for. And today I get, we get to look a little bit again into a different character in the Bible. And as we do that, let me start off by telling uh, your story. You know, many years ago, uh, I, when I was quite a young Christian, I had to speak at a funeral of a friend of mine. And uh, this particular friend of mine had suffered from really terrible depressive episodes, uh, which sadly ultimately took his life. And in what I shared, I shared a bit about Elijah, because Elijah, of course, suffered from the same thing. Well, after the funeral at the, um, at the, the afternoon tea afterwards, you know, sausage rolls and, and scones and cucumber sandwiches, I was halfway through a sausage roll when I was accosted by a five-foot-nothing nun who told me that I was wrong, that Elijah was not a man like us and that he was a saint and we couldn't in any way bring any comparisons between ourselves and him. Well, good news today, ladies and gentlemen, she was wrong because the Bible explicitly states in the book of James that actually... Elijah was a man just like us. In fact, all of the biblical characters are people like us. And it's so important that we don't make the mistake of elevating biblical characters to a place where they no longer are an example for us, when we can no longer learn the lessons that they have for our lives. Because if we do that, it will disenfranchise us from the very legacy that the Scriptures exist to give us. You know, the people in the Bible, they were passionate and they were unwise sometimes, just like we are. They did their very best and they wanted to make a difference in their world, just like we do. Their Savior is our Savior. Their Holy Spirit is our Holy Spirit. And, and their greatest desire, I'm sure, would be that we would learn the lessons from their lives and go on to greater things. Let me speak to all the parents in the house just for a moment. Who knows, parents, that the one thing that you want is that you want your kids to not make the same silly mistakes you made, right? You want them to learn from your mistakes, and we want our kids to go on and make their own bold and daring mistakes, but do it in the pursuit of bigger things, of greater things, things that we couldn't even dream of. And that's not only what we want as parents, but you know, in Hebrews 12, we read about this great cloud of witnesses speaking of all the heroes of the faith, men and women in the scriptures who have gone before us watching us wanting us to learn from their lessons and step into greater things. You know, I really believe that uh, we've got something special to learn today, and we're going to look at the legacy from the Apostle Paul. Now, his legacy could be described in terms of many things, church leadership, uh, organization, theology, all of those would be great. But I believe there's one aspect of his leadership that I want to speak about today that we don't often look at. You see, for me, leading is a strange mix. It is a strange mix of emotions. In fact, Dr. Dan Allender, who's an author and a counselor and the president of Mars Hill Graduate School of Theology, he says this about leadership. He says, leadership 
flight is the only sane response. He's saying you need to run while you still can. Avoid it if you possibly can. And so when I look at my own leadership and and my involvement in that, and this relates to every one of us, right? Because we are all influences of others in some way, in some uh, in some place, in some way. So whether it's involved in with kids at home, whether we're influencing and leading our children, or whether we're involved at university with a peer group that we're influencing, or whether we're involved in sports teams, or whether it's in church, or whether it's involved in business and commerce, and, and we're a part of teams, or we're leading teams, or we're involved with other people. Every one of us here, in some way, at some point, are involved in leadership. We're involved in influence. And so for me, I don't know what your experience is, but my experience is that leadership is challenging and alluring, and isolating, and at times satisfying, and grieving, and energizing, and exhausting, and frightening, and addicting, and heartbreaking. It's a strange thing. I don't find leading particularly easy. Occasionally it's fun. But you know what? Mostly it's hard, complex work. Have you ever tried to lead a teenager at home? You try and influence someone who already knows everything. It's a tough job. You see, the difficulty is that leaders are expected to be perfect. They are assumed to be perfect. Now, we don't, we don't say that, and often we don't even articulate that, but actually we do expect that. When a leader struggles, we wonder what the problem is. When a leader has weaknesses, we wonder where the hidden sin is. If a leader has to take an extended break, God forbid, we, we're immediately looking around for who's going to replace this faltering failure. I mean, I mean we, we have expectations of the leaders in our lives, both in church and in the marketplace. And the challenge and the difficulty is that we can sometimes find ourselves trapped by what we think other people's expectations of us are. This is what I think is so powerful about Paul's legacy to us. Paul left us a legacy that totally flipped around the pressure to be perfect. So let's take a look at it now. We're going to go to the scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. Paul speaking. He says, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. He goes on and repeats himself and, and talks about how this person I heard things and saw things that can't be shared. He says this. He says, even if I, sorry, he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Many scholars believe that actually this person Paul was talking about all these years ago who was taken up to heaven was actually Paul, and he kind of reveals this in verses 5 and 6. Therefore, Paul writes, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, we've got to remember who we're talking about here. I mean, this is Paul. 
I mean, what a leader this guy was, right? He, he had the family genealogy, he had the history, he had the education in his career, his trajectory was arcing way above all those of his peers. I mean, the guy was exceptional in every area. When he finally got saved, I mean, this guy does miracles, God works powerfully through his life, he has revelations and understandings about theology and what the Spirit is doing and insights into people and organizations. I mean, the guy is outstanding. But then Paul confesses something to us, right? He has a weakness. Like, what? Like, weak, like weakness, Paul? Now, you've got to remember, Paul was the guy who never had any weaknesses. I mean, he was unbelievable. If he had any weakness, it was his driving ambition. But now Paul comes out with this thing. This thing. And we're like, you know, should we be... Should we be worried about that? Like, is that a concern? Should we be looking for a new apostle? What's going on with that? And Paul explains to us that it's a problem that he can't fix and God won't heal. Anyone here got something like that in their lives? Don't put your hand up. But anyone here got something like that in their lives? A problem that you can't fix and God won't heal. And no doubt Paul is is thinking about what will people think about this and what will people say about this. Because we all have this generally unarticulated theology that if it's not perfect, if it's not blessed, then there's a problem. I'm sure people were asking, and I'm sure Paul was aware that people would have been thinking, is it a sin in Paul's life. I mean, he says that it was, it was, uh, it was from Satan, so like that kind of sounds like a sin. Or uh, is it a failing of Paul's character? I mean, Paul himself says that God says it was given to stop him from becoming conceited. Or is it actually a lack of faith? I mean, Paul's prayed about it three times, right? Like he's meant to be the faith guy, miracles guy. Prayed three times, nothing's happened. Is it like, a, well, where's your faith, mate? Like what's going on here? And while only, he only mentions it specifically in Scripture once, it's clearly a big deal, right? Because Paul tells us that he, he didn't just pray for it to be healed. He pleaded with God, right? He pleaded with God to take it away, to fix it, to sort it, to get rid of it out of his life. And he didn't just plead once, we're told. He pleaded multiple times, but it wasn't taken away, this thorn in the flesh. And we see these thorns, these problems, in many leaders' lives in Scripture. And we could, we could probably go through almost every leader in Scripture uh, and see challenges or difficulties or problems that they had that maybe others didn't see. I mean, Jacob had a limp, which is you know, a bit of a challenge, really, when you're trying to take the land and your only method of locomotion is walking. Or we've got Moses, who had a stutter which is kind of not ideal, right, when you're trying to be involved in political negotiations to free an entire nation from the most significant ruler of the day. Or Paul, who has this thorn in his flesh that distracts him, so difficult to deal with when he is tasked with planting churches and starting the church in significant measure in the known world. Well, we can learn a lot about a thorn, about a weakness, about a problem that we might have in our lives from Paul. Let's look at that now. Paul describes it as a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let's look at each one of those in turn. Firstly, here's the thought, it looks small. I mean, it's a thorn in my flesh. 
It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thorn. It's like it's a little thing. It gets under your skin. It's not a big deal. It's not fatal. It's not a terminal condition. It it's, kind of looks small. But who knows that a thorn in the flesh can cause you so much pain, so much grief. You know, I used to play uh, footy, I used to play soccer for uh, my high school first 11. I was a goalkeeper, and I remember one time I got a, a, like a little thorn, a little prickle in my little finger. It got a little bit infected, and we had this big match. And I was the only goalkeeper, and, and every time the ball hit my glove, pain would shoot down my finger, through my hand, all the way down my arm. I mean, by the end of the game, I'm trying to catch the ball one-handed, and I mean, it was really a bit of a sad situation. We lost the game. My team were not happy with me. And see, the problem is sometimes our thorns are invisible to everybody else. It looks small. The second thought about thorns is this. It messes with your head. Paul says it's a messenger of Satan. And there's two thoughts about this. Firstly, it's not Satan himself. It's just a messenger. It's like, it's like this isn't a full frontal assault from the prince of darkness himself. He, he, he doesn't need to be bothered with this. He's going to send some underling who's going to hassle you and niggle at you and, and just cause you problems. Like it's, it's, this, it's this small thing. But who knows that a messenger of Satan means that it's also sent to get a message across. You are not enough. Really? You, you want to heal people and you're not healed yourself? You, you want to see breakthrough in people's lives and you don't have the breakthrough in every area of your life? Are you kidding me? What kind of hypocrite are you? See, it messes with your head. And these messages nibble away and threaten to destroy your confidence, your faith, your identity. And the third thought is this, a thorn in the flesh, it disrupts what you do. Paul says it torments me, and that's in the English. The, the Greek is the Greek word kolophaza, which means to punch or hit with a fist, which is very interesting, right? Because it's not like a boxing match. It's not like, you know, you can see someone coming, you can, you can duck and you can parry. It's, it's not that kind of a scenario. No, no, this is the, the attack you don't see. This is the coming from behind, the sucker punch in your kidneys, which wins you. This is the knock across the back of the head that you don't see coming. This is the thing that startles you and disturbs you and causes you anxiety because you can't see it coming. That's what this is. Maybe you're recognizing something like that in your own life at the moment. Because a thorn in the flesh can produce things like anxiety and depression and these sorts of things. A thorn in the flesh can be physical, it can be medical, it can be genetic, it can be mental. I don't think it's any accident at all that God very cleverly and very clearly meant that we cannot know exactly what Paul's thorn was. Sure, different commentators have got different ideas on what it can be, might be, but the scripture and Paul himself very carefully never identified exactly what it was. A thorn in the flesh can be tough. So then why does God talk about it as a gift, right? He says to Paul, I gave you a thorn in the flesh, like I gifted you a thorn in the flesh. What is all that about? God says it was given to keep you from becoming conceited, from becoming proud, which of course is the thing that tripped up the devil, right? That being of such incredible potential. God says it it will keep you from being reliant solely on your own skills and abilities. You see, the problem is 
that it happens when God elevates us. You know, when, when you get a little bit of revelation about something, when you get a little bit of vision, when God lifts you up and gives you something that others look at and go, wow, that's an amazing gift in your life, or there's some incredible thing that God is doing with you. And that itself is not a problem, right? The problem is not when God elevates us. The problem is when God elevates us and then we elevate ourselves. Many years ago when I was a young uh, senior pastor, we had a, a guy come to our church. He'd been, a, um, he'd been a missionary in China and he had been working there for many years and was completely burnt out. And he was coming back with his wife to recover and, and he came up and saw me one Sunday morning and announced to me that he was not going to leave until he'd made me into a praying pastor. I'm like, bro, we are good because I'm already praying. It's not, not a problem. Apparently, my, my prayer life was not up to his standards. And so he began to turn up every weekday I was working at the office, and he would just pray with me for an hour in really, really loud tongues. And there was nothing I could do about it, which I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but there was, I don't know, it was the strangest situation. He would just turn up, he'd stand in my office, he'd go, let's go, and he would just start praying. And it was very difficult to work when you've got a very loud man praying loudly in the corner of your office. And so I kind of had to join him. It was just one of those embarrassing things. And so every weekday morning for an hour, we prayed in loud, militant, strong tongues and in English. We did that for six months. But something happened. Something interesting began to happen after like about a month, a couple of months. Let me tell you about it. So we used to have a Bible college, ministry training college was part of the church down there. And I was one of the lecturers, obviously. And I used to teach biblical exegesis. And I, I began to find that I could like literally just open the Bible, look at a scripture, and God would just speak to me about it. I mean, I would just get revelation on it. It's okay. You'll see in a minute that I'm not really boasting. So, uh, and I would just look at it, and it got to the point where I actually used it as a lesson in class to say to, the, to the, our students, look, this is how you should be able to read the Bible, and I would, I'm kind of embarrassed. I would open the Bible, put my finger on a verse, look at it, and then I, could t- I would just teach from that for 10 minutes. Just, God would just speak to me. I, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and here's the funny thing, right? I, I still remember the day when I actually quite, I was by myself, but I said it out loud to myself. I said, Griff, you're getting pretty good, son. Anyone hear any hints of pride or conceit or anything else just hidden in there? Anyway, the six-month period comes to an end, and this guy goes back to China, and I stop praying. And it took about 10 days. And I opened the Bible, and I couldn't do it anymore. I'd I'd flick through, find other passages. I I just couldn't do it anymore. I mean, it was just like it was like, Whatever was turned on was now turned off. I couldn't see it. I, 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 it was just as confusing as it had always been. I couldn't even read the people's names right anymore. I mean, it was just embarrassing. You see, the problem wasn't that God elevated me a little bit. The problem was that then I elevated myself. God made it so clear to me that it wasn't that I was getting any better. It was just that I was getting a little bit nearer to him. And in that place, God was giving me the ability to see things. So important, isn't it? If God has elevated us, if God has given us a gifting, if God has given us some revelation, if God has given us some insight, it's so important for us to realize that our bit of revelation doesn't make us more important. It makes us more responsible. And so what God does on occasion for those of us, uh, in fact, for everyone here, maybe at some point in their lives, if 
there is a particular bit of revelational insider ability. Sometimes for those people, what God does is God gives them a gift to keep them grounded, a thorn. God says, I'm allowing this thorn in your life. This will stop you from getting proud and conceited, from thinking it's all about you, that you made all this happen. And what I'm going to do is in the weakness, in that gap, I am now going to begin to show my power. And actually through that weakness, through that thing that you struggle in, that distracts you and is difficult, through that actually I'm going to begin to work and you're going to see through that very thing that you despise in your own life, through that very thing that you struggle with, I'm now going to begin to work and you're going to really see the potential of what I can do in a person's life. And so Paul, with this thorn that he finds so difficult, this weakness, somewhere in the midst of that journey for him, in the midst of preaching the gospel and healing the sick and seeing miracles happen, at some point he enters into a different season where he starts taking people with him. Now, this is so interesting, right? In the beginning of Paul's ministry, he traveled alone for at least the first decade and a half. And then Barnabas began to drag him around and kind of got him introduced to the apostles and took him different places. But then something happened, and somewhere in the midst of that, something shifts. And now Paul starts taking people with him himself. First Silas, then Timothy, then others. Why? Well, Scripture tells us that they began to support him. They would write his letters for him. They would help him with things. And as a result, Paul now began to raise up leaders at a whole different level. He had these young men and women with him who would be a part of what he was doing. He would explain to them what he was doing. They would see him operating in miracles, and they would hear his insight on things. And as a result, this is so beautiful, through the very weakness that made him need to rely on people, he, as a result, began to raise up people that everywhere he went, he then left behind, and they planted churches right across the known world. A limp, a stutter, a thorn, they aren't liabilities or disabilities. When a leader has a thorn, it's not a problem, it has a purpose. And purposeful problems don't disable a leader, they define a leader. Do you have a problem that maybe has more purpose attached to it than maybe you've given it credit? What's this legacy that I'm talking about? What's the gift that Paul gives? I believe it's this, that God perfects his power through a leader with a thorn. I want to talk for a moment about oysters and pearls, and I'm sure many of you have heard this analogy before, but I, I hopefully we'll go just a little bit deeper today. You know, when a bit of sand, as we traditionally thought, which we now understand uh, with the exception of cultured pearls, but with natural pearls, most of the time it's a, a little parasite. When it gets into an oyster and burrows into its flesh, it causes an irritation. Now, in order to cope with that irritation, that distraction, that pain, it causes the oyster, listen to this, to produce what it would not normally produce. It causes the oyster to do something that it would not normally do. And so this oyster then begins to produce layer after layer of a particular substance covering and surrounding this irritant, uh, all the while doing all the things that the oyster's still got to do to be an oyster. But here's where it gets interesting, right? Because from the oyster's perspective, the oyster calls it problem management. But in the future, people will call it a pearl. 
something that is of great beauty, of great value, of great worth, something that once owned in a family is often passed down through the generations. Here's the application. You can be a leader who leads well, but if God graces you with a thorn, as much as you will not like it, as much as it will distract you, if you will respond to God in that, in the right way, it will, here it comes, it will cause you to produce something you wouldn't ordinarily produce. It will cause you to do something you wouldn't ordinarily do. And it's, and it's something that you will in the start call problem management, but in the end, people will call it a pearl. They'll call it something of great value. They'll call it great character, a great anointing, a great gifting, great leadership, great influence. And in fact, it can produce things that actually others take and then pass on to other generations. You see, here's the thought this morning. A leader managing a thorn is an oyster making a pearl. And thorns are often given to very gifted leaders, leaders who could achieve great things on their own, great things in the flesh, great things in their natural abilities. But God knows that the real power is only when you reach beyond the natural to the untapped levels of the supernatural. See, when a leader is powerful in the natural, they may never really reach beyond for the spiritual. So sometimes God allows Satan to touch our flesh. He allows Satan to come and do something which then causes us to not put our confidence in our flesh anymore and to press through and reach out for what God has for us. Let me ask you this morning, do you have a thorn in your flesh, something you can't fix and something that God won't heal? That may be something that others even disqualify you for, something that others judge you for, or something that others look at you and see you as of only limited potential. Can I say to you this morning, don't despise the thorn. Deal with it. You know, a thorn in the flesh, like an irritant in a pearl, must be dealt with the right way. And very quickly, let me give you three thoughts on how to do that for those of us here this morning who are identifying with this today. First one is this, you've got to isolate it. When an irritant gets in the flesh of an oyster, the first thing it does is it encapsulates it in a bubble. Its impact must be isolated. Likewise, if you have a thorn in your flesh, you must isolate it. Yes, it will be painful. Yes, it will feel like it affects everything, but it doesn't. And you must assess it and work down, okay, what areas of your life does it actually impinge upon? And what areas doesn't impinge on? You've got to limit it. You must isolate it. The second thought is this. You've got to allow room for it. You see, the oyster with that irritant, it encapsulates it, and then it begins to layer it over and over. But in doing so, this thing gets larger and larger. But the, the oyster somehow knows that it's got to make room for that. Because the irritant must be managed. It cannot be ignored and it mustn't take over the whole animal. Can I say to you, make room for your thorn. Schedule time to be upset about it. But don't let it steal all of your days and all of your nights. Make a time. Maybe it's, you're going to go 4.30. 4.30 is the time. At 4.30, I'm going to be ticked off about this thing that I'm having to deal with. I'm going to, I'm going to complain about this thing. I'm going to get depressed and down and sad, and I'm going to rant at God about this. But come 5 o'clock, that's it. We're done. We can come back and rant about it again tomorrow at 4.30. But 
It can have a few minutes, but it cannot have my days. We've got to learn to do that. And then thirdly, we've got to transform it into something that adds value. That oyster works to transform that irritation. It works on it and works on it and works on it until it creates a pearl, you know, a source of wealth and currency prized the world over. Let me ask you this. What limitations does the thorn cause and how can you leverage them for gain? How can you transform this? How can you use it in some way for your advantage? Because every obstacle offers opportunities. And if we will seek God, God will show us what to do. You've got a rock in your way. Maybe you need to climb up on top of it and get a higher perspective on the road that is still ahead of you. You've got a landslide of rocks in your way. Wow, what a business opportunity. Rocks for sale. Free pickup. Get them here. You see, this is Paul's legacy to us, I believe. God perfects his power through a leader with a thorn. Are you a leader with a thorn? Or are you a, maybe you know leaders who have thorns. I know a few. I think of our senior minister, Pastor Luke, whose hearing was so damaged all those years ago when he doubted he could even become a pastor because of his hearing difficulties. In fact, now... His hearing is so bad that if you're in a room and there's any background noise, you have to stand on the right side of him really close if he is going to hear you. And yet, he's a man who hears from God with such clarity that he is one of a very small number of preeminent church builders of our generation. How about, how about our national leader? I love Boyd. We have a national leader with such vision difficulties, most people don't know this, with such vision difficulties, this is a true story, that he once had an argument in a supermarket with a cardboard life-size cutout of a man. Actually happened. That's how bad his vision is. Yet, his vision for our movement staggers me. And I'm not easily impressed when it comes to vision. What he sees, the plans God has given him for our movement, for church planning, I mean, amazing. What vision? Or even our senior pastor, Steve, Pastor Steve Green, who right now is struggling with inner ear issues and balance issues such that sometimes sitting on his stool like I am today, he sometimes almost falls off in the midst of his sermon. Real balance issues. Yet, I've never come across a leader with such a sense of leadership balance. He has this ability to to honor the past while driving for the future. He has this ability to build church for the unchurched while still making it home for the church. He has this ability to get the business done at work while still getting the business done of building a great family. He, he somehow manages to keep the balance between caring like a priest while still leading like a king. I follow the guy anywhere. It's one of the most intuitively wise leaders I've known. Here's my final thought this morning. Oysters with pearls aren't everywhere, but when you find one, it's a keeper. Here it comes. Leaders with thorns aren't everywhere, but when you find one, this is the legacy Paul left us. God perfects his power through a leader with a thorn. And so as we close, let me ask you this. Is there something in your life that you can't fix and God won't heal? Just maybe it's a gift that you haven't recognized yet. And who knows whether it's here in your life just for a season or for the rest of your life. But I do know this, is that God's grace is sufficient and his power will be 
made perfect in your weakness if you will let him. I tell you, God is wanting to bring something of greater value out of your life than you ever thought possible. Come on, let's bow our heads and pray as we close this morning. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for your astonishing wisdom. God, I thank you for the legacy that Paul gives us, that as leaders we don't have to be perfect, God, that sometimes there is a thorn in our flesh. Sometimes there is a problem that we can't fix, and you won't heal, God, but, but there's an opportunity in that for us to see your power, God, in a different way. God, I pray for every person here today who is in that boat, who knows what that feels like, God. And sometimes, God, that's, I know, God, some, that just comes with getting older. Sometimes as we age, there are things that we now can't fix and you won't heal. But there are still opportunities for the power of God to be manifest in those things in ways we hadn't conceived of. God, I pray every one of us here, you give us eyes to see, Lord, ears to hear what you're saying to us, God, with our challenges in this season. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.